This Prop Talk recording is a news and opinion product that is the property of Original Prop Blog LLC, all rights reserved. Original Prop Blog LLC is not responsible for any statements or opinions expressed by the guests of this program. Live on tape from the OPB studios in Northern California, it's Prop Talk. Brought to you by the original Prop Blog, we're making analog connections across the world. Each podcast features one-on-one chats with special guests to discuss the hobby of collecting original movie props and costumes. The original Prop Blog is the original source of news, information, and opinion about authentic popular culture artifacts and memorabilia from film and television. Now, let's join our host, Jason DeBorg. So welcome to Prop Talk, and it's been a couple weeks, actually a little bit longer I think since I've done one of these, but I was down um, in Burbank shooting video at Profiles and then uh, Eastern Costumes, so that ate up a lot of my time, but going forward these are going to be a lot more regular, hopefully once a week, and today I'm speaking with Leonard Billen from Real Clothes, and uh I'm really excited to talk to him because he's been in the hobby for a very, very long time. And uh, I think he'll be a recurring guest, hopefully, if (laughs) he doesn't get uh, too overwhelmed by this first one or bored. But anyway, uh, welcome, Leonard. Thanks, Jason. Um, So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about Real Clothes and um, what you're doing and you know, what's, what's going on today. And then we'll kind of work backwards and uh, learn a little bit more about your history in the hobby. So tell me a little bit about real clothes. Well, we sell wardrobes and wardrobe and props, pretty much everything we sell, we obtain directly from studios or production companies. Um, We do sell through our website, uh, www.realclothes.com and we also sell on eBay and that we have that's our website URL is our eBay ID because right. we did that many many years ago when you could you were allowed to do that <laughs> and um, we're small we we you know it's basically the whole company is my wife and I <laughs> and I have a friend or two who helps me out uh, when I go and pick things up loading unloading the van but we're small. We actually work out of home. And uh, so we tro- we have uh, Sony is a great client of ours, and we're doing now doing exclusively their uh, release auctions. Um, and uh, we have a lot of other wardrobe and props that we've had and acquired over the years that we still sell on the website. And I have Tons and tons of stuff that's not up on the website because I just don't have the time or the manpower to do it, but I'm trying to put more up there every day. Right. Now, you used to have a store because we actually met once a long time ago, many years ago, actually before I even started the original prop blog, um, but you found that it's, uh, you, you do a lot of, you're doing a lot of your business online anyway at that time, right? Yeah, well, we had... To, we had a, we had one time there were two retail locations, one in Studio City and one in Sherman Oaks. Then we closed the Sherman Oaks store, and I had uh, was doing the on just the online business, and the uh, Studio City location stayed open. And then we acquired a building in North Hollywood, and we had 
both operations, the online and the retail in, in North Hollywood. But a few years ago, it got to the point where it just seemed like the overhead associated with the retail business was, which was not really collectibles, which was more bargain clothing. Right. Didn't seem to make sense anymore. So I decided to just sell online. And now it's been about five years since we closed the store. Wow. And uh, that's what we've been doing ever since, just selling online. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested to learn about how you got started in this business, because I don't even know. I don't think we've ever talked about it. We exchange a lot well, of emails all the time, but it's it's usually pretty topical stuff. So, Well, I got started um, actually... I had a, I had somewhat of a background in collectibles, not in Hollywood memorabilia, but I was a baseball card dealer in the late 80s, early 90s, and I always liked movies. But I met my wife, and just coincidentally, she and her mother had the business, huh. which was at the time called Studio Wardrobe. And that was around the time that the Internet started coming into people's consciousness. Um, so was so this I was, was this the, was this like the early '90s or this was uh, yeah '94. Okay. And so at at that point, primarily the only way to reach buyers outside of the people who could walk into a store location was maybe an ad in uh, in a collector's magazine, right? Um, or just develop uh, a customer base from people who called the store over the years. Well, as you, obviously, as the Internet started, we saw that as a resource and a place to, uh, to advertise. So by 1996, we had a website. And that since I had that sort of a, a collectibles background and a marketing background, I was still doing another full-time job at that point. Mm -hmm. But by 1997, I stopped doing that and started doing this full-time. And what was the first, were you always getting stuff directly from the studios? That Well, that goes back. My mother-in-law started a business with a partner in the early 80s. And they they pioneered the whole concept of selling the assets after they were, after productions were finished with them. Um, were they sold, so the, were they sold as memorabilia or just like they chairs were mostly a chair? as used clothes okay and in a lot of cases there were some pretty uh high-end items that got sold as used clothes yeah i i know the stories of people telling me that uh they bought terminator jackets in 1984 <laughs> for 80 dollars wow so i mean that's primarily what the focus was um and and in some cases and even Today, in some cases, the companies that own these assets don't want them marketed as memorabilia. Mm -hmm. So, and, and over the years, they've gotten a lot more aware of the whole marketplace, and they, for businesses of their own protection, they have they have instituted rules about ways in which everything can be marketed. So each each client, each studio has their own rules. 
Yeah, you know, I've, but, I've talked to other dealers about that. Like some have said, you know, like for a particular movie, they can sell a costume, but they can't show a picture of the actor wearing it, for instance. So that, right. those are the kinds of roles that you deal with. Then. Exactly. Yeah, they that because the studio's legal departments have determined that if you use the actor's likeness, then in some way they could claim that they're they're being uh, that they're they could claim that the implication that they're endorsing the sale mm-hmm. is there. So they decided no pictures. So I had, uh, you know, in a, uh, my client Sony, um, when I started this new deal doing their auctions, that's part of their deal. Mm-hmm. No pictures. So I can't. Plus, everything is worded in a way that is required to be worded. Um, that worded on the COA and worded in the ads. Um, and, but, you know, it, it's like anything else. Just please spell out the rules for me so I can follow them. Right. And you deal you deal with the rules as they come. So do the studio, say, legal departments have some kind of review of what's actually stated on the COAs, for instance? Um, in the case of, in the case of Sony, yes. Yeah. I don't know about the others because I'm not really dealing with anybody else these days. Right. Um, uh, except unless I buy some stuff from a small production where they're not in that sort of business of of stipulating i just ask them can i sell this as collectibles from this particular production and usually they say yes because it's not an issue for them but in in the case of sony yes they had a uh they went through a whole uh um situation where they there was a an active involvement of the uh the archives department and legal and production in determining what they wanted to say on the COAs, what they wanted to certify, and how they wanted to handle things, and that's where the new uh, policy came in with the, the COAs having uh, Sony's holograms on them. Mm-hmm. So everything that gets sold that is a certified collectible from Sony, starting with productions that go back about a couple of years, come with one of these COAs. It has an individually numbered hologram that is registered with their archive. Hmm. So, for example, you had sent to me a CO, uh, the image, a COA image last week. Right. And the only thing I asked you was, what's the number on the hologram? You gave it to me. I asked the people in the archives department, and they said, yeah, we sold this uh, in a, an auction, a charity auction to benefit Haiti. Okay. So they're, they're actually it, really good about tracking all that then. Well, you know, they do. They have it. They have it all in a database. It's e- When you have that number, it's easy to find. Mm-hmm. It take, takes just a couple seconds to hit a few, uh, few keystrokes and you have that information back. Because they want, that, that's what was decided that they wanted to do. They wanted to track what was going on with their assets. Right. And you had said um, in the past the studios, studios were, were reluctant to um, sell as, quote, memorabilia. What, what were kind of some of the reasons at that time that they were hesitant um, to do that? In, in some instances, um, again, it was the idea of using the images of the actors and the actors' names to sell items. 
simply because that's not what the actor was paid for. Mm-hmm. Some it, it, it's a, it's a matter of a lot of a lot of things in law. It's a matter of interpretation. Now, if they wanted to interpret it as being part of the marketing of a movie, right. which is something that the actors are required to do in most cases, right. they could do that. But it all depends on how how they want to do it. And usually they err on the side of caution. Right. So in some cases, they're not going, they didn't want to sell stuff as memorabilia. They just wanted to sell it with no, no, in some cases, no uh, association to the particular production, which is supposed to be in the, uh, everything that gets sold from Sony that's not being COA'd is supposed to be sold just as clothes with no, association to the production and i know from talking to you offline um that sony in particular is pretty good about their tagging system before it gets turned into you know memorabilia for sale but they i think i remember you saying that they're really good about identifying you know what what is a hero what was worn scenes we we do the best we can because Different productions uh, identify items with different levels of detail, mm-hmm. depending upon who is dealing with the props and wardrobe and the budget also and how many, how many personnel are working in those departments right. on the production. When they do a wrap, they, they do have a policy where, at least at Sony now, where they have to write up a li- an inventory list. So you you pretty much know what's there. Sometimes you have to interpret how many were used or how many you know were actually worn. And but usually the stuff, the stunt, and the principal are are pretty well marked. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're dealing with a uh, um, large, moderate, or very large budget film, they have enough people in the wardrobe department to tag the stuff pretty well. Or at least there's a tag, there's a master costume tag on a garment bag. That tells you what everything is. Mm-hmm. Each individual piece might not have something written on it. Right. And I know back when I started the blog and I was working on the lexicon and definitions for different terms, um, you had some opinions about, you know, what's, quote, a hero prop or a hero wardrobe piece. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how do you, what, what's your own kind of personal definition? Uh, well, I've talked to people who work on shows and ask them. And there's really still, there's not a 100% consensus on what it is. But I think, because in a lot of cases, or in some cases, Hero was pointing out the number one. Mm -hmm. But I think more commonly, it's just used Hero as something that was used for the principal actor. And was actually used right. on camera, not something that was held as backup, right. not something that was used for But they sometimes will call something hero stunt, which meant it was used on camera but worn by a stunt performer. And there's time times where, you know, if there's an outfit that goes through, the character goes through some sort of trauma where it's torn, bloodied, whatever, there could be hero torn, hero bloodied, hero stained. So, I mean, I've I've just I've given into that that hero 
can be used as a, a description of something that's worn by the principal actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's kind of interesting because when I first started collecting original um, props and costumes, I know everybody laughs. The first movie I was really into is Mystery Men, and uh, I had a lot of wardrobe from that film. And eventually, I actually came into contact with the wardrobe manager, and she was telling me because she even she looked at pictures I sent her, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that's my handwriting, you know, on the wardrobe tag." So I mean, she was really dialed into the whole thing. And, right. Uh, she said because I had this these pair of boots. And um, I think it had like hero written in it and then it was crossed out and it said stunt. And she said, well, a lot of times something will start out as hero and it'll get muddy or beat up or whatever. And then it gets kind of handed down to the stunt person. So you that know, could happen too. Yeah. In some cases but, it could be both, but you know, without talking but to you the, had evidence of it on there yeah, by having the hero crossed out. Right. Where, whereas if there's only stunt written in it, you probably have a good, reason to believe that it wasn't used by the principal actor yeah and i mean sometimes you can also tell because the although obviously the the stunt is supposed to resemble the principal actor they aren't necessarily the same size yeah sometimes you know somebody's stunt but particularly in footwear right you know somebody could really be about the same height weight and resemble the principal actor enough to be their double photo double or stunt double but one person might have wear a size 12 shoe and another guy, the, uh, the actor may wear a size 10. Right. And then you have a, a way of telling what's what is it as well. I mean, it's always much better when you have shows where there's only one of something. Right. <laughs> it's more than one scene. There was no reason to have more than one or there's just, or it's clearly delineated what was worn and what is, what is just extra stock. Mm-hmm. But there, that's the other thing is there really aren't any rules. Although when you're dealing with stuff from a particular production, you can kind of get a set of rules in mind. Right. But it, it doesn't relate necessarily to any other show. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you could get at an auction one piece from one movie and it's sort of out of any kind of context of what actually happened on the production. Whereas, you know, in your case, you're getting a lot of stuff from a production so you can sort of use that to your advantage yeah, to sort it, it in out. most cases i'm picking through everything the at least in the case of when i'm dealing with sony the stuff comes back and the first go around with the stuff is archives mm-hmm. and archives pulls whatever they want to have they want to keep and goes through all the props the hand props and pulls what they want to keep and also puts aside some for us to sell then I go through it. And so in like, you know, we're looking at stuff that's coming right out of boxes that were shipped back to the studio after the um, production ended or stuff that was done locally. It might not have even been boxed. It was just mm-hmm. trucked back to a storage facility and put in hanging on racks for months on end until the show was released or it was at least, at least until the show, there was a final cut decided and that it's, there's not going to be any more changes made. So there's not going to be any more reshoots. Right. And that's the other thing is when they're pulling things for reshoots, stuff gets mixed up. Yeah. And they're not necessarily, they don't care if they got the, the same one that they used when they shot um, the scene the first time and they're doing a reshoot just for inserts or for a couple little changes. You, you might have two different, P 
pieces that were look exactly the same that were worn. But when the movie's complete, it's it's a single scene that seems seamless, but it was shot months apart. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was actually researching um, uh, a piece from one of the born, the first Bourne movie, and you wouldn't know it from watching the movie like you're supposed to watch it at 24 frames per second. But uh, when you watch it frame by frame, the, the device actually even changes. I mean, it completely changes style. It's you know a totally different iteration of what is seen in another shot. And it's like, but you would never pick up on that unless, you know, but. Who right. Watch, who watches a movie frame by frame? So. Right, and 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 their and their intent was not to have that happen, but then they knew they did that, but they knew it was going by so fast. Right. That it wouldn't really make a difference. But there's a great example of how you could have had one of those devices and sold it, and somebody said, "Well, that's not the way it looked in the movie because mm-hmm. they happened to because they happened to freeze the wrong frame." Right. Exactly. Which you know, it, and then in a lot of cases it there's not really a lot of great tracking of what was used when. Mm-hmm. And I'm going by, you know, friends who worked on productions and said, well, you know, they just got thrown back in boxes and taken back to storage. Right. You know, we didn't know which one was used particularly at, at, at what point. Right. So with Sony, do they keep quite a bit of material for their archives? Are they pretty selective? They're selective. And they're also, like every other studio or any other person, like a collector, they're limited on space. Mm-hmm. So they take they take what they think is the, the pieces that are most representative of the production. But it also depends on the production, the stars in the production, and what kind of a movie it is. If it's a modern-day film with a lot of contemporary wardrobe that just looks bland mm-hmm. they may not they're not going to take as much as if they're doing a period piece right like the other Boleyn girl because they're also selecting items that go out on tour or go out are used for displays and decoration mm-hmm. you know somebody's three-piece suit looks like everybody else's three-piece suit Right, but if it's a big enough star in a popular enough movie, you might want to display it. But there might be a movie that's less popular, but the costumes look a lot more interesting, and you want to display that instead. And do you know what their kind of a long-term objective is with their archives? Like, do they plan to put it on some kind of permanent public display, or just? They're just thinking they know they need to keep it, and they're just going to. I don't think store they it. they have it for a permanent public display, but they do they do have some permanent public displays that get rotated. There's near the right across the street from the studio is Sony Pictures Plaza, which is another office building, and if you walk into the lobby, there's always a display there, mm-hmm. and it rotates out. It might be some some recent productions versus uh, older productions. They also uh, do other displays on the lot. And they have their own store. They have, there's a, a company store where they, they actually sell some stuff. They have little internal auctions. Oh, really? For employees. Hmm. So 
there's there's various reasons for having the stuff. And then sometimes things are kept because they might actually get used again or be needed to use as a model for a, a sequel or a reimagining of, of a show. Right. So if there's like some potential hit sci-fi movie coming out, then they'd be more likely to hang on to it in, in the event there's going to be a sequel then. Um, that would be a good, a good example or even something like as even get away from movies, go to TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, they have the married with children couch. Oh, really? (laughs) Because, you know, a few years after married with children done was done, they did a uh, reunion show and they wanted to recreate that entire set of the Bundy living room. Well, they had the couch to do it. And you never know; they may they may do that again. Yeah. Again, it's always a a consideration of space and prominence of the items, and that's not necessarily readily apparent to anybody when a pro, when a project first is released. Right. So you try to err on on the side of of caution and keep more stuff than you might otherwise. And then a few years down the line, they may say, "Well, okay, we don't really need X or Y anymore." because it's taking up space and, and it's not something that's prominent enough that we really need to keep it around. So how much archive space do they have? I mean, is it just, um, you know, that's hard for me to say because they had, they have a, a location that's being morphed. Now <laughs> the building that where they are, their space is changing. So I don't know what they're going to have in their new, uh, setup, but they also have other little, that's that's the the nature of of the business is that the lot the studio lots don't have enough room on them and the sound stages and what what space they have on the lot they want to use for production mm-hmm. so other departments support departments or an archive gets put in a different location and they're and they have extra little storage in other spots Right. So it's really hard to say. And then there are other things that are kept even more secure, like Spider-Man stuff. Right. So um, there's, but there's a they have a department, a great uh, department where they have not only, uh, but they have items on display, but they also have posters and tons and tons of stills mm. from. Columbia films going way, way back um, in the archive. And then there's there's warehouse space. And then there's other little warehouse spaces in other spots. So it's really hard to, to estimate how much total space they have. Um, but they don't have a museum set up like Warner Brothers has. Mm-hmm. Where there, you know, there's a tour. Sony has a tour also of the studio lot, but part of I think part of the Warner Brothers tour is actually going and seeing their archive right. or their their museum. Um, so, do you think there's ever going to be, you know, quote Hollywood museum that really has, you know, substantial amount of what you'd call good good stuff? You know, uh, so many people have talked about having museums over the years, mm-hmm. and I, and no one has come close to even trying, except I guess De- Debbie Reynolds, right? 
is the closest, and that didn't seem to work. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, there are a couple collectors, I guess, who have uh, their own private museums, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're not open to the public. Right. And there's there are big big collectors who have talked about having them, and I guess uh, Paul Allen has a sci-fi museum. Right. And he's he's the active buyer of of sci-fi props and wardrobe. But there, there's a perfect example. There's there aren't too many Paul Allens around. No. <laughs> where they can they can indulge their hobby to an extent that they can open a museum. Right. Because they're capable of doing financing a museum. So I don't know. It, it's uh, I, I in. The time I've been doing this, we've gone through different eras economically, mm-hmm. and we're about as uh, in as much of an economic downturn as we've seen in a long time. And so, if we couldn't, if nobody came along to decide to open a museum in 1999 uh, or 2000 when everyone was riding high, right. I, nobody's. I don't expect anybody to be doing it right now. I guess all we got was Planet Hollywood. <laughs> we got Planet Hollywood, and Planet Hollywood was great. And Planet Hollywood for anybody who was selling wardrobe and and uh, props was great in for a while too because they were the market maker and they set all the prices because right. they bought so much. Yeah. And when Planet Hollywood went insolvent and, and, and and stop buying that had a tremendous effect on the market. Mm-hmm. So where where do you where do you see values kind of in recent history now and then kind of going in the future at at different levels from you know the really high end um, you know marquee stuff you might see in profiles you know and then kind of down to you know more current films um, where things are a little bit more plentiful. Like uh, I think it's all over the place. I think definitely you can have a current film that would be popular enough that the stuff from it could be very valuable or even hold its value or increase in value. Um, But obviously, most current films are kind of forgotten pretty quickly. Mm So, you know, it, it depends on maybe the actor, too. There, there are certain actors who there's a lot of stuff out there from, and then there's certain actors who there aren't. Mm-hmm. And depending on their popularity, if something came along from a particular actor, even if the movie wasn't that big a hit, it could have a lot of value. Because there's certain actors who tend to get have in their contracts to keep their wardrobe. Yeah, because I know Robert De Niro had that pretty much in all of his films, right? Because he... he um... Isn't there like a university in Texas? I'm trying to remember where he had donated, yeah, a large number of his his uh, wardrobe pieces. But his and stuff props. has come around, though. I mean, I've had some stuff of his from Ronan, and I've seen stuff of his out there from the Fockers movies. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking more. Uh, Julia Roberts is a good example. She gets all her stuff. Now, I think there was some stu- some wardrobe from uh, Aaron Brockovich, but that stuff she's specifically allowed to go out to charity auctions. Mm-hmm. But she has a movie coming up this summer, Eat, Pray, Love, and 
the wardrobe's already with her. Hmm. And there's a few other people that that fit into that category. So is is that does that tend to be the bigger stars, or is it just actors who kind of have that clout, and maybe they, for whatever reason, are attached to the things they wear in their movies? Well, I think it's movies. it's actors, the bigger stars, who have the clout to be able to demand that. Um, that doesn't mean everybody demands it, right? I mean, a good example is Will Smith. You know, all his stuff looks looks yeah is for sale usually, mm-hmm. but. Well, when his son did the new Karate Kid movie, he wanted for his son one of each of his changes. Mm-hmm. And so they gave it to him. Yeah. I don't know if it was in the contract or not, but obviously the studio has a really good relationship with him. Right. <laughs> and and so they're going to give him that. So, But there are different levels of stuff. So there are some big stars who, who really don't care, I guess. And there's some who really want control. It's a privacy issue for them. They don't want their stuff being sold. Hmm. Interesting. So you had mentioned Sony has a lot of um, stills and photography in their archives. Do they actually use those as a resource? Like if someone's doing a book or something, can they go to Sony and work with I them? Believe to so. I believe so. Yeah, I, th- I think you could, you can, cu- the archive has a website. I don't know the URL right off the top of my head, but you could definitely contact them. If you were doing a book, if you're doing something that, uh, that uh, required getting images or at least even just taking a look at the, the photos, I'm sure they'd cooperate with you. Hmm. And do you collect yourself? You said you you were in the collecting kind of realm before you got into movie memorabilia, but do you actually collect movie I'm costumes? Not, or I'm not really not a collector no. of movie memorabilia. I, I appreciate it. I love movies. And it's that's one of the reasons I go to look at the stuff at Profiles, because sometimes it's just really cool to see this, that, whatever, Mm-hmm. From a from a movie, and just know that that's the real one. Usually, to me, it's something much the older stuff. Right. That's kind. Of, that's kind of just amazing to me that something survived. Right, like that. Wow, how did something even survive from that production? Yeah, like that um, King Kong plane. <laughs> it's like exactly. I'm standing there looking at it, thinking, "Wow, it's in such great condition." Like that's so old. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just amazing. But even something that's in, in lousy condition, but you know, it's old and it's just, wow, that's, that was used in that show. I mean, I thought it was really great. Um, the, the statues from Citizen Kane that were in the last, uh, profiles uh-huh. were actually owned by Sony. Hmm. And they, because they had owned Culver Studios, and there was just a lot of stuff left over there from RKO. Yeah. And so there there they had in storage waiting to go to this auction uh, statues from Citizen Kane with the crating on it that said Xanadu, Florida. <laughs> and you're standing there, and this is stuff that was in that, you know, on set in that warehouse for Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a lot more interesting than maybe some of the more recent stuff. Because the recent stuff was purposely saved. Right. And this is stuff that just, by some fluke, happened to survive all those years. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I know I get calls from people every once in a while and, uh, you know, people that don't collect anything, they just went into grandma's attic or, you know, there's always an interesting story, but some of the stuff people still have, it's it's pretty amazing. And uh, Oh, people, yeah, individuals save things. I know my dad was a big saver of stuff and didn't have any, obviously, any Hollywood memorabilia, but with just just the kind of things that are still around. Yeah. That, that people happen to have hung on to. Well, because you think with the internet and then these auctions get a lot of publicity that everything would have been found by now because people, because usually the mainstream media coverage is, you know, this sold for X number of dollars and that kind of gets people, you know, thinking of things as, as assets that are worth a lot of money. But still people, things, people find stuff, you know, that... Things do turn up. Yeah. Things do turn up and also... It's the right pair of eyes sometimes mm-hmm. because this stuff doesn't sit around and wave its hand at you and say, <laughs> hi, I'm, you know, from this show. <laughs> it, it Sometimes it's the most, it's just amid a bunch of other stuff. And all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, what's this? Yeah. Or you have it and then you know it looks distinct. And you hang it up, and then finally somebody comes around and says, "Oh, you know what? I think that might be." Or you, you yourself have it for years, and then you're sitting there watching TV and watching an old movie, and you go, "Wait a minute! <laughs> now I know what that's from." Yeah. And then you say, "Okay, well, maybe some of the other stuff that I have is from that." Yeah. Because if you if it came out of the same location, then there's a good chance that there's more stuff from that same movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's like um I don't know if you know Rick Spector, but he he'll have something, you know, that is was in Citizen Kane and then he'll see it on an episode of the original Star Trek, you know, the same mm-hmm. set piece or whatever. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's stuff like that around. You'll see you'll see things you know, every once in a while you'll see stuff and you'll go, Okay. Hmm. <laughs> or I I see that with locations too. I, oh yeah. I do that a lot watching movies. I will wind up doing that same frame by frame look <laughs> because I I know what street that is. Okay, I know where they are now. Yeah, there's actually a really good website that has um a lot of different you know, it'll have a location, it'll show all the different films that were shot there, which is pretty interesting. Cuz I I lived in LA for like 4 years, so every once in a while I'll be watching a movie and kind of do a double take and be like Wow, <laughs> that's Venice Boulevard, or you know, some other yeah, place. Yeah, a there. lot of the area in the San Fernando Valley where you know there'll be there'll be a chase scene. I'll go, okay, wait a minute, that's all right. Okay, let's let me stop. Oh, then I see the right sign, and I'll go, okay, I know it's <laughs> or you know any any sort of uh, situations like that often arise. I mean, I know there's big websites for stuff like Back to the Future, right? So. So anybody who wants to know that the Back to the Future house is in Arlita can drive up there <laughs> and see it. But, you know, some of those are, are pretty well known. I, I live, I don't know, I've never driven up there, but I'm probably five minutes from the <laughs> E.T. house. Yeah. So, um, and I always see there's a show, I don't know if you're familiar with Sons of Anarchy. I know what it is, but I haven't FX. watched it. Yeah. Um, they shoot right up the street here, too. Oh, really? Um, Get off the freeway and you'll see the the uh, Sam Crow sign. 
because you know if you know from when you lived in LA, a lot of times you see signs on the street yeah. or coming off freeway exit, and it's kind of, they tend to be kind of in code, <laughs> but they're just telling people who are working on that show where to go. Yeah. I think probably the most filmed thing has to be um, that Randy's Donuts, right? <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things. That I've seen that a pop up a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised there's not more interest in uh, I'm, I'm the part of movie collectors to go visit places where things are filmed. I think the only the one person I know who's really um, put some serious effort into that is Brandon Allinger because I know he had his GPS and went out um, to you know where they filmed Raiders of Lost Ark and uh, and Kauai and, and Star Wars, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then he went out to wherever in the snow they filmed you know, all the hot scenes and stuff. I mean, that's some dedication, but uh, I think it's you know, I mean, it seems to go hand in hand because people collect props because they want like a piece of the film. So you know, kind of going to visit one of the sites is sort of in the same uh, same impulse i guess so. yeah you could there could be a lot more of, of that sort of information added to a website that 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 is specializing that because there's so many little places around that are there there's it's like a again up the, up the street from me there's a hotel that's they use that for uh will smith stayed there in seven pounds it was also used in um uh, Christopher Nolan film. Uh, oh, goes, Memento or no? Memento, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's just so much around Los Angeles that, that you could go and see spots where things were filmed. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right, because I guess maybe because you can't own that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People don't want, aren't as interested in it. Although, hey, at some point, the people who own that house in Arlita are going to sell it. <laughs> and somebody can buy uh, the McFly house. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny is recently the um, the house from Ferris Bueller went on the market. And then one of the the cars went on the market. And I was thinking, you know what? Someone really wealthy should just buy both of those. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> they could have and then there's the houses that are owned house. that were owned or are owned or were owned by celebrities. That, yeah. You know, yeah. Up for sale, though. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, one of the times I went to LA uh, to visit, I met up with Simon Lee, who's a collector from the UK, and he was staying at um, the hotel where they shot a lot of scenes for True Rom- True Romance. So I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of funny. <laughs> so, uh, getting back to props. Um, yeah. Hollywood Vault. They're not in business anymore, right? That's what I understand. Okay, because it's. Um, I'll go ahead. Well, no, it's. It, there was a was a point at which both uh, Rainmakers Hollywood Vault was selling stuff for Sony, and we were as well. Right. But at some point, I think they just they just uh, retreated and, and went out of business. Yeah. I, I don't think there was any official announcement or anything. Yeah, I never but, heard anything, but a former employee had called me and, and said, basically, you know, they're out of business. But I never found any public statement, anything. They just seemed to kind of fade away. But uh, so their their business model seemed to be more, they would do auctions at the theatrical 
theatrical release and then maybe at the DVD release. And it seemed like right. they used likenesses of, you know, the actors or they used the poster. Like I remember like they did Hellboy and they had, you know, Ron Perlman, an image of him holding, you know, whatever it was, a grenade belt or. I think like they were that. using, they were using publi- uh, publicly released uh, uh, still publicity still. Okay. And I, and at that point that was not a violation of the policy. Right. <laughs> but later it became a violation of the policy. Got it. I mean, I have stuff from older productions from other clients that I'll, I'll take uh, frame grabs from the DVD because I, it wasn't part of the, uh, the stipulations for selling it, but now I can't use the images for, for uh, auctions for uh, for Sony stuff. So I, you know, can't do it. Don't do it. It's one less thing to deal with. I will seek out the images. Right. I will look and see where they are. They also don't want it stated. This is the, you know, they they don't want an image and say this is what so and so is wearing in this picture. Right. Because again, there might be more than one, and you don't really know. It's the one that they're wearing in that particular picture. So you so. so you have a contract with Sony and you sell stuff with those stipulations, but they don't seem to care about what people do. Like, let's say you sold something to me and I mm-hmm. and I looked at the DVD and I'm like, wow, this is a screen match of, you know, Tobey Maguire wore this in Spider-Man or whatever. So right. if I then put it on eBay and said, this is the one that he wore and here's a picture of it and stuff, then they just kind of let all that because you're not an authorized you're not an authorized seller of the merchandise for them Mm -hmm. then they're not responsible got it for what you do after you own it after you own it you can do what you want to do there's no liability on their part now in your years in the hobby have you ever um heard of or are you aware of any instances in which a studio learned some someone is let's say on ebay was selling something fraudulent fraudulently from one of their films that they've ever acted on it or done anything about it um not just sony but any studio i can't i can't uh, off the top of my head i'm not thinking of specifics but i know that has happened it has. i mean i don't know what, what you're saying fraudulently meaning yeah that it's something misrepresented i mean i do know that there's been stuff on eBay that was stolen that has been uh, removed from eBay. Um, uh, but also there, you know, there have been many things that, that I and other people have pointed out that have been, been ignored. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it matters uh, to them more on a property that's a lot more precious to them than another. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it depends on the, depends on, on the studio and the copyright owner too. And how how much they want to protect their stuff, right? I mean, you know the lawsuits that that Lucasfilm has had, yeah. Um, because, but it's them protecting their intellectual property. It's not Fox doing it, right? So in a lot of cases, there is no entity like Lucasfilm that owns those that has those copyrights. Besides the studio, that's that protective of their of the right. So. Yeah. And Lucasfilm um, is pretty interesting because you think of all the stuff that they could go after people for <laughs> legally. And when you look at the big scheme of things, it's what they've actually done is pretty small. But, you know, in the Andrew right. Ainsworth case, you know, they kind of went really full force into that. And that, you know, didn't didn't pan out for them 
you know, at least so far as they would have liked, but it's uh, no, I don't, I don't, I've not seen any, you know, evidence of them sending out cease and desist right and left for people making unauthorized uh, replicas. Yeah, because I mean, if all, you, if, all over the place. Yeah, if you look at the RPF, you know, I mean that. I think a lot of that community was built on people who love Star Wars and were making Star Wars replicas before the license stuff even started coming out. Right. So. And I, but I think also the legal distinction is if you're not profiting from it, you're just making it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're presenting it just as I made this for myself, um, there's really nothing. There's no damage to the copyright holder. Now, if you when, once you start selling it, then you're making money off of someone else's work, right? And then they have the right to uh, to do to take legal action. Yeah, and I think the only one that because I mean I've seen people in the RPF say, "Hey, I made this cool say lightsaber, and I'm going to make fifty more who <laughs> wants one for two hundred dollars." But yeah, I'm not aware of Which, them. If, if somebody wanted it. to crack down on that, they could. But again, it's, I mean, how much, how many, how much time and effort and, and money and resources are they going to spend on the guy that's going to make the 50 lightsabers? Unless he really does and he's advertising it on a, on a fan board versus somebody who tries to turn it into a business. Right. And yeah. then they're going to crack down on it a little bit more. Yeah, because I think the fan base stuff, I think the negative backlash that would, you know, arise from them going after a fan would would not make it worth it for them. But. Right, exactly. If somebody's <laughs> trying to turn it into a full blown business and and make unauthorized replicas, I'm sure they'd go after them. Mm-hmm. But if a guy's making stuff and selling it to other fans, sort of informally through uh, through a discussion board. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. So what are some of the um, more interesting things that you've sold over the years? Like, do you have a favorite thing that, that you sold on at some point or? Well, it's so hard to try to think, uh, you know, it's stuff that doesn't come right to me. Yeah. Um, there's just so much that goes that goes through. Uh, it would probably be a more, you know, I, I guess the most interesting stuff, and for a completely different reason, I guess you know we we sold so much Starship Trooper stuff over the years. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is just how that well that movie endures for collectors. Well, it seems like there's kind of a really core group of people. I think that sort of got started. I think some of them started maybe with replicas, and then they they really loved that movie and bought those costumes and and really got into that whole film, you know. And it, yeah, it does and people need and, and there are people who want something to wear to a convention, right? And there's enough of those around, and I had enough of them in an, in a lot of different sizes that I could I could outfit people, right? So that that gave people an opportunity to get a costume from a movie that they could wear to a convention without having it be a super valuable one of one that they wouldn't want to wear. Right. Or having to actually handcraft something. Right. So have you pretty much sold through all that 
Starship Trooper stuff. No, I still have a lot. Of <laughs> you do. <laughs> I still have a lot of it because I acquired, I I bought what Disney had years ago, and I have consigned to me what Sony had. So was there yeah. like a hundred? I think there's, costumes some, there, or? there's there's books. I don't know what the count exactly was, and I've talked to people who worked on. I think I think there were uh, four hundred. Oh my gosh! Wow. Actuals, because I don't think <laughs> they didn't use they didn't use. I don't think they used CG on so on the soldiers. I mean, the CG was just the bugs. Yeah. Everything else was the the people. The soldiers were practical. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny actually. When I was living in LA, I was working with someone, and she quit because she got a job as an extra on Starship Troopers and was probably one of the background people. So, yeah. Hmm. So that's one of those things that just is is endured, and there's still people. There's still core group because I I think some of the some of the guys who buy Starship Troopers now. You know, I haven't met them all, but I think they're rather young. They might have watched the movie the first time when they were eight or nine years old. Yeah, so it's kind of like the Star Wars age for a lot of people that really got into Star exactly. Wars. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Hmm. So I know you've been really helpful to me over the years just with information and research and stuff. If someone was interested in maybe getting in touch with you to buy stuff or maybe find something or find out what you have that maybe isn't on your website. Is it best just to email you through your website or that that's the best way is to send an email to sales at realclothes.com. Okay. Um that then I'll answer. I, I get a lot of people asking me questions and usually the answer is sorry I can't help. Yeah. Because I don't know I don't know where this, that or the other thing is. But if I do know somebody who does have it, I can point them in that direction. Okay. And what are some of the productions that you're selling from now and, and anything coming up, you know, down the line anytime soon? Like what, what are some of the, the things that might interest you? I'm people? selling now, uh, still have, uh, some wardrobe from, uh, zombie land, uh, angels and demons, Julie and Julia. We just started selling stuff from grown ups. We'll have later in the summer the other guys and salt. Okay. Um, and do you stick pretty exclusively to clothes, or do you do some props? No, we we, we do props too. Okay. Um, war, the uh, archive pulls out what they want as far as earn, and I get a certain amount of things to sell that they can sign to me, but. The, the again, here's another thing that a stipulation that Sony has, for example, Sony will not sell a realistic gun, mm -hmm. um, even if it's just solid foam rubber. They right. won't sell it. Right. They won't allow it to be sold. So if there's a gun, even there's a there's a, in the trailer for the other guys, there's a joke. I guess Will Ferrell has a, a carved wood gun for some reason. Uh huh. I still don't think that's going to be able to be sold. Yeah, and, and they're also they're also they will not sell anything with the likeness of the actor on it, hmm. like um, identification, like a driver's license or a badge uh, or something like that, uh, or even or even a prop, um, a book. Oh. If there's a book a book jacket and right. there's a picture 
of the actor as the author on the back, they won't sell it. Any mm. any set dressing photographs, they won't sell because they feel that that's again their their legal department feels that that's a violation right. of of their contracts with the actors. Now other companies do that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we're up at about an hour, and I didn't want to take up any more of your time tonight. But uh, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to talk to me and do this podcast for people to listen to. And uh, hopefully down the line, once I sort of make the rounds and, and talk to a lot of different people, I can have you back and you know we can get more in-depth on some stuff. So I just wanted to thank you for uh, participating. All right. Thank you, Jason. And yeah, if there's any other questions or follow-ups that you'd uh, like to discuss, uh, just call me. Great. Well, well, thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to our program, Prop Talk. For the latest news about the world of original television and movie memorabilia, please visit us online at www.originalpropblog.com.